Caution, you are about to enter the speed zone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 175 of the Speedcast, where there are no speed limits. We are triumphantly coming at you from a record date of Friday, May 5th, 2023. You may be wondering why I'm saying triumphant. We are back in person again for the first time, and I don't know how long it's been. So, joined by Jeremy Smith, I'm Darren Baxter. Jeremy, needless to say, well, you know, triumphant is the word (laughs) of today. You could say that triumphant was last weekend for a few different drivers in IndyCar and NASCAR. Absolutely, yeah, and it is obviously great to be back in person. Obviously, our our schedules have been a bit crazy lately, and so, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely good to to get back and, and record here and it's definitely exciting, obviously, with everything that's going on in, in motorsports and, you know, a lot of, obviously, changes that we're going to talk about when it comes to news and notes. I mean, just a lot of a lot of moving parts, if you will, that are that are coming. So definitely uh, exciting. I think moving parts is certainly an understatement. I think exciting is certainly an understatement. Let's start at the very top with Dover last weekend for NASCAR. And it's funny I say last weekend because the Cup Series race actually took place <laughs> on Monday. Yeah. And what was this? I said to you, Jeremy, we were texting about it. Something like three out of the last four races or four out of the last five. Can't remember for sure, but it's a very high percentage of races that have been rained out on Sunday and they had to run them on Monday. It's just funny how, uh, I mean, Mother Nature seemingly has been behaving this year for the most part, I think, in uh, North American auto racing. But it seems like Mother Nature just has Dover weekend circled every year at this point, it seems like. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel that way. And that's a wild stat that that has happened so often up there. But um, I felt like... What we saw on Monday, though, it was it was good, and and obviously the winner that we're going to get to, you know, was a guy that uh, that needed it in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. It'd been a long time coming for this driver, and just it's funny. It's funny that uh, I think it was Mike Joy and a couple of the others were saying that uh, Mondays seem to belong to Martin Truex Jr. And needless to say, this Monday, the Worth 400 last week, it did belong to Martin Truex Jr. Wins his first race in what was it, 54 or 56 races, something like yeah. that. Been a very, very long winless drought. All the way back in 2021 was the last time, so this win was a long, long time coming. Um, you know, and then of course we always have to say that you know, if we do have you know a lot of different race winners this season, it may not necessarily guarantee a ticket to the playoffs for him, but at the very least, it's going to give him a huge leg up on the competition for the time being. Definitely lead 68 out of the 400 laps, so uh, not really much in doubt with this one. When all was said and done, the, I think the only thing that I found interesting with was uh, towards the very end, it seemed like Martin and his crew chief James Small uh, they had picked up a little bit of radio chatter of the two like going back and forth and really arguing just the high tension and then finally just cooling down just all right well we'll get it done well they got it done so i just i think i think it's one of those things or or one of those things where maybe uh at this point you would say maybe that winning cures all i would i would like to think that the intensity level is going to be down a little bit now that they've proven they can win again yeah because that was um yeah it it definitely made you think they were running bad i don't i don't know or he just felt that his opportunity was there and he didn't want to miss miss his chance i I don't know exactly but regardless it it all ended uh ended great for him uh on this day on monday and i know he's got to be kind of breathing a little bit better today you know because he's got that wind under his belt obviously you know wants to get more and, and help his standing but 
definitely a step in the right direction for Ab- them. Yeah, absolutely so. Absolutely so. And I thought it was interesting that just at the very end, like the final pit stop, some of the drivers electing to take four tires, Martin Truex Jr. and his team, they only elected to take two tires, and you would have thought that that would have been at their disadvantage, but uh, actually really wasn't because, you know, once they got things sorted out in the final restart, Martin Truex Jr., he had more than enough speed to win this thing. Yeah. So, uh just good, obviously, for the team that that gamble worked out, and we've seen a couple times, obviously, and I think Martin even alluded to this in the post-race, a couple times where they took those gambles in the past, uh, obviously in this long winless drought, and it didn't work out, and in Martin's own words, you know, basically he felt that they gave away some of the races, so certainly mm-hmm. uh, lucky for them that it didn't happen here, but I think it's really more than luck, because again, just you lead that many laps and just a really yeah. good final restart, they certainly earned this one, I think. 100%. And a strong second place finish for Ross Chastain, one of the drivers that took the four tires at the very end. You yeah. thought maybe he was going to have a little bit of something for Martin Truex Jr. there, but like I said, once they got it sorted out in the restart, wasn't meant to be. I do have to say, though, that for Ross Chastain, relatively early in the race, uh, I, can't, I can't remember which driver it was. It might have been Brennan Poole, I think. For it was, a, yeah. yes. Getting involved with Brennan Poole. i you mentioned uh, this because I, I forgot about this. Yeah, I, and I'm just kind of remembering it just off the top of my head right now as we're going along. Early on in the race, uh, Ross Chastain gets behind Brennan Poole, I guess, felt like he was going to give him a shove just to get him out of the way, ends up careening Poole up the track, and he slams into Kyle Larson and ends Kyle Larson's day, as we'll see here. Um, just the latest in a long line of incidents now over the last <laughs> couple seasons where Ross Chastain, you know... You would think that, you know, he seems like a gentlemanly guy. Obviously, he's always very kind in the post-race interviews, seems to be relatively well-liked amongst the drivers, but yet doesn't seem to be afraid of, uh, you know, of engaging in controversial actions on the track, and I think this was just the latest evidence of that. Yeah, it seems like almost every week he's involved in something, and what did Brendan Poole say, I believe, in an interview? Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but they'd be in Monday. I, I did not see it. No. He uh, he said, I think he needs in. I think someone, or I think he needs to get his butt kicked, or something to that effect. Because <laughs> I had it on and was watching that, and I actually, I like, was doing something work related, and then happened to hear that and go, "Wow, what <laughs> did he say?" <laughs> so I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, it's just, just seems like he's he's getting involved with someone that ends up wrecking almost on a weekly basis now. So he's getting a bit of a reputation, and it's, uh, I think, not all, but some drivers that are obviously being impacted negatively getting tired of it oh yeah needless to say and i think just what you said reputation i think certainly applies i mean if a driver like brennan pool is saying it, i think basically he's summing up the thoughts of practically just all of the drivers at this point right. so i mean i'm a fan of ross chastain i don't know that i'll go so far to say that he needs to get his butt kicked but i do think there needs to be some sort of <laughs> intervention here at the very least so yep. uh I don't know. That being said, we'll just move on, I guess, through the rest of the top five here because, you know, not really sure where else you can go from not that. A great, just not the, a great way to segue off that. Yeah, I guess not. So uh, I guess you could say going from one winless drought that's now over to another winless drought with that of Ryan Blaney. Uh, finishes third in this one, so obviously the uh, winless drought continues on. And it's almost like, I mean, this is a great finish, don't get me wrong. And Ryan Blaney's been relatively consistent this season. We'll see in the points, obviously, he's benefiting from that. But you almost have to ask the question now at this point that now that he is the clear driver that has the longest, you know, and I'm going to say elite driver that has the longest of these winless droughts. What does Ryan Blaney have to do to win a race here in 2023? I know he's it just and it seems like overall, like it just seems like he can't ever because well, there were so many seasons where he'd get at at most it was just one win. Mm-hmm. I think last year was the first year he had multiple wins in a season, if I'm not mistaken. Or uh, 2021. Tw- I'm sorry, yeah. it was two years yeah. ago. My yeah. apologies. But you're right, though. Yeah. yeah, 2021 was the first time he had multiple wins, and it's just, you, we. I think we thought that, that was going to be that breakthrough for exactly. him, and that was going to be the norm, and then completely regressed last year, and then so far this year hasn't cracked the win yeah, column it's, either. It's really confusing, and 
you know, especially when you see what, I mean, we've talked about Cindric to this respect a little bit, but obviously Blaney's a bit more of a veteran um, for sure. But I mean, obviously you see what, what Joey Logano is doing, his teammate, you know, coming off a championship, he's, you know, obviously winning races, you know, so it's, it's definitely uh, disappointing if you're in the 12 camp because they're just not, I mean, they're, yeah, they're finishing well, but getting wins is what matters in the sport and they're not getting it done right now. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, I think just as far as that question, you know, that somebody could ask, what do I have to do to get a win? You could say that William Byron was asking himself the same thing at the end of this one. Finishes in fourth, it's a great finish, but just look at the number of laps led. 193 laps led, and if I remember correctly, as far as stage victories, yes, he won stage one in this race, finished second in stage two, seemed like he was primed up for the win, but, uh, you know, it doesn't happen. And so I say it a lot of times, and I'm going to say it here. It's yet again a missed opportunity when you basically lead Mm -hmm. half the race and you don't come away with the win. Yeah, 100% is, and uh, I mean, he's already got two wins this year, but even with that being said, I mean, getting a third win and kind of separating yourself even more is is a great thing and, and something that you would uh, obviously love to strive for, and obviously they had a really great car, but mm-hmm. with all the different, you know, strategy calls uh, that took place, you know, it just turned out, and you know, unfortunately for them, not to be, but they had an incredible run and obviously had a car good enough and capable of winning just just wasn't able to get it done in the end. Exactly, yep. And you just you have to wonder how races like this maybe are going to impact William Byron in the 24 team because we have basically a historical comparison, that being last season where they picked up a couple victories early on and then they went the rest of the season basically without cracking in the win column again. And so I'm not going to say that's going to happen this year. I do think that they will figure things out and they'll definitely get back in the win column. But just it, it almost kind of just makes you wonder maybe if that uh, seed of doubt has been planted now maybe in this team you know, in Byron and the 24 team's minds to where do they maybe slip back into the habits of last year that prevent them from winning again? Right. So I think this is, it's going to be a very important race really looking back on it. Just, uh, it's going to be kind of maybe like that dividing line of like, what did they do to try to overcome the adversity? Maybe more importantly, yeah. what did they do differently than what they did in 2022? So kind of just brings up a big question, I think, going forward that they're going to have to answer. No, you're right. We mentioned Ross Chastain a few moments ago, so I think it's fitting that the fifth-place driver in this one, the one who probably has the most to say about Ross Chastain, but surprisingly hasn't said a whole whole ton, at least recently anyway, Denny Hamlin. He finishes fifth in this one, leads four laps on the day, and, uh, you know, it's been a semi-quiet season for Denny Hamlin so far. So, I mean, it's a good finish, but it just kind of makes you wonder just uh, what's going on with Denny Hamlin's season right now, because he hasn't really looked like a contender for a victory at all this season. No, which is a far cry from what we have seen you know, in the past two, three years where he's winning, to, you know, lots of races. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely uh, has been has been a bit odd. Uh, coming home in sixth place, his teammate, Christopher Bell, um, obviously just, you know, another example of how good he's been this year. He hasn't won a race yet, uh, but he uh, – well, wait, no, has uh, – now I'm, now I'm questioning myself. Actually, I believe he has won one. Yeah, yep. that's yep. why I stopped myself. I was like, wait, no, I'm wrong on that. Uh, call me out on that. But, yeah, so, I mean, Christopher <laughs> Bell, I mean, just another example, though, of how good he's been – I mean, he is one of those guys that's quietly, in my opinion, you know, a championship contender this year and somebody that you definitely have to look out for whenever playoff time comes. Because, I mean, heck, you saw what they did a year ago. They all of a sudden started making a run as the mm-hmm. playoffs began. They couldn't get it done, but he, this team is still young. The driver is young. I mean, they just seem to be getting better and better. And I think, I mean, for long, we're going to be looking at this 20 car as the number one car on Joe Gibbs Racing. I mean, think about it. When you have the likes of, you know, eventually when guys like Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. step away and retire or whatever the case may be, 
I mean, I don't, I don't think there can be much argument at that point that 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 he is going to be the driver to to lead the team, which would be kind of cool in the sense of the twenty being the the lead driver on mm-hmm. Joe Gibbs Racing again, going all the way back to the Tony Stewart days. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just with uh, the body of work we've seen with Christopher Bell so far, I mean, still very young in the grand scheme of things, but yeah. also has a good good amount of uh, races under his belt now at this point in the Cup Series, and I really think that's why you're starting to see him just ascending really in the ranks of this team. I really think had it not been for Martin Truex's victory at Dover. I would have almost said that the number 20 was the clear number one car on this team at this point. Now maybe you could kind of almost look at it as a 1A, 1B, just because both drivers do have one win on the season. But I think just overall, as far as consistency, though, and just what Christopher Bell is bringing to the table, there's definitely a solid argument for him being the number one right now, I think. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, Coming up in seventh place, Tyler Reddick with a solid run for 23-11 racing. And then these next two finishers, just another example of how much better... 2023 has been for them compared to 22. Um, Brad Kozlowski eight, come, coming home in eighth, and then Chris Buescher coming home in ninth. I mean, just extremely impressed with how much better this team is this year. Obviously, they don't have that penalty weighing them down <laughs> yeah. so much for, in Brad's case. But now the next step is obviously Buescher won last year. You know, once uh, once the playoffs were underway and he wasn't a factor, he wasn't in the playoffs. But I want to see both of them get into victory lane. And, mm-hmm. and, and prime Primarily, who I'm speaking about right now is Brad, just because, you know, he made this leap to go over to this team, to be part owner of this team, and, and you know, getting that first win after you make that kind of a, a jump would be huge, and I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen, because it feels like it's it's on the verge, because they're running well, almost on a consistent basis now, and we did not see that a year ago. Yeah, not at all. And, and like I said before, several weeks ago, Brad basically has alluded to it, saying that it basically is a night and day kind of thing, even in his own yeah. eyes. So, I mean, he's acknowledging it. Obviously, the team is definitely feeling it, because it seems like week in and week out now, Brad is either in the top 10 or just outside the top 10. And like you just said, that's a very, very clear difference from where things were last year. Um, and you could say the same, I think, in a sense for Chris Buescher, too, because, you know, he's been hanging around basically in that top 16 as far as the playoffs, or I should say the point standings. You know, he's either been right around 16th or just outside. So yeah. obviously he's hanging in there. I think the big thing was just when Chris Buescher won last year at Bristol, I think just it was proof for the team that they could definitely put together just a, uh, you know, a good race. And they proved to themselves they could get into victory lane. And obviously, it had been quite some time, obviously, for Roush Fenway, now RFK. It had been some time since they'd been in victory lane. Yeah. So I think they just had to prove themselves, or prove to themselves that they could do it. And like you said, now really, I think the only thing left, only thing left, at least from a race-winning standpoint, get Brad into victory lane, get Chris back into victory lane. And that's really, I think, uh, just all they have to do, I think, as far as just, uh, if you want to call it a successful season, so to speak. But really, I think even right now, if you were just kind of looking at the season as a whole, you could definitely call it a success so far what they've been doing. Definitely, yeah. If both of them get in victory lane and then both make the playoffs, mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be a huge, you know, win in year two, um, you know, with this, you know, changeover in ownership for sure. Uh, and then coming home in 10th, man, I'm telling you, um, waiting for this guy to get a full-time ride. Josh Berry, his first race filling in for Alex Bowman with that, with Bowman's entry, comes home in 10th, and it just, you know, it's – I'm impressed with what this what he can do. I mean, he show he is showing that he can run with these, uh, you know, with the with the big dogs in in the Cup Series. Now, obviously, you need to, you know, if he gets a full time ride at some point in the future, I want him to be able to get one with a with a legitimate team. Mm-hmm. Now, if you stick him on on a on a no offense to like a Rick Ware Racing type of team. You're not going to see these kind of results, but he is showing what he could do with good equipment. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the coolest thing about this, just you know, 
because again, you just mentioned, obviously he filled in some for Chase Elliott this season, as we're well aware. I think it's cool that we're seeing like this consistency in the results. It's not only in different cars, but think about it. That's with different crew chiefs, obviously with different team members, just the crew as a whole. I think it just lends that much more credence to what Josh Berry can do, obviously, if he's given a really good equi- or a good shot, So, or excuse me, if he's given a uh, a chance in really good equipment. I'll Definitely. Get, I'll get my words straight here eventually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been great so far. We What we've been seeing out of Josh Berry at the Cup Series level, and just, again, a lot of credibility, I think, going forward, and I'm with you. I certainly hope that, you know, when that time comes for him to get that ride, I hope it's going to be with... It may not necessarily be an elite team, but I certainly hope it's one that just can give him some relatively good speed and just let him show really what he's made of. That's that's obviously the biggest thing you hope for, I think, in a situation like this. Absolutely, and just the more experience he gains, I mean, this is such valuable. I mean, obviously, he's running full-time in the Xfinity Series, of course, but all these additional cup races that he's running with Hendrick, I mean, this is just giving him so much more valuable experience and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, knowledge and something that's going to go a long way for when he gets that full-time cup ride and the way it's trending. I mean, heck, we might see that as early as next year, yeah. mm-hmm. depending on if, if there's a, you know, a ride that comes open. So that would be uh, interesting. And, and obviously I think a well-deserved uh, opportunity for for him. Now it may not be with Hendrick because I don't see obviously any of those guys going anywhere, but, but with another team. Well, something to think about that just popped in my head. There is a uh, very big seat that's coming available next season, and that's Kevin Harvick, the number four. Oh, now that is now, intriguing. Now, granted, you know, it's obviously a Ford affiliation versus a Chevy right. Chevy affiliation. That could obviously, that could be a potential roadblock, but yeah. it w- wouldn't be the first time that we've seen drivers switch affiliations, obviously, to get a... Kyle Busch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have a very, very recent example in Kyle Busch. And if Kyle can make the switch after all the years that he spent with Toyota, right. anybody can. So I yeah, think, that's I, a very intriguing option. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's something to think about, and uh, I mean, just you know, Tony Stewart, he's not shy, obviously, about going after people that he feels strongly about. We don't know, obviously, his thoughts about Josh Berry at this point, but just knowing that Josh is a young driver, he's proving himself, obviously, in these starts with Hendrick Motorsports. You'd almost have to think that somebody like that, I think, would be tailor made for the number four because you would want to build not only for the present, but obviously the future too. And who better than somebody like this, who has done great in the Xfinity series and he's doing good, obviously with the chances he's getting in cup right now. Absolutely. So all of that being said, going outside of the top 10, um, maybe not so ironic, uh, right behind Josh Berry, one of his teammates, at least for the time being at Hendrick Motorsports, Chase Elliott, he finishes in 11th, decent finish for Bubba Wallace at 23, 11 racing. He comes home 12th. You had Ty Gibbs who came home 13th, Corey LaJoy, good run for him. He finishes 14th. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I think a run that he definitely needed. Uh, been kind of quiet since winning the Daytona 500. Yeah. He finishes in 15th in this one, so not too bad whatsoever. Eric Jones, he came home in 16th. I want to point out real quick, only 12 cars finished on the Yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. uh, found that interesting. Um, so Eric Jones, he came home in 16th place. Ryan Priest, he came home 17th. A.G. Allmendinger, 18th. Uh, Kevin Harvick, uh, kind of a ho-hum day, came home in 19th. And then Harrison Burton, in 20th, and then one more I'll take, Kyle Busch, I believe, uh, was my pick because I picked him to yeah, go back-to-back, yeah. yeah. Um, came home in 21st, three laps down, so just not not a – I mean, didn't, didn't, didn't wasn't involved in any crashes or anything, but just didn't have that good of a day at all. Led 25 yeah. laps mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier on, but that was – that was the end of uh, his time up front. And he started on the pole, granted, because qualifying was running yes. out. But, you know, started on the pole and looked semi-decent in the very beginnings. I mean, you know, I think it, 
all, if not most, of those 25 laps were led at the beginning of the race. And I know, obviously, the leader has the advantage with clean air and such, but it seemed like he had enough speed that he probably was going to hang around all day, and I don't really know how that turned into him finishing three laps down. And just fascinating, too, that just going back to even the notion of uh, anybody being laps down, interesting that only 12 drivers finish on the lead lap. Just in a, obviously in a scenario where, you know, you have like the stage cautions and all that that are bunching everybody back up, you know, you would almost think that uh, only 12 drivers finishing on the lead lap, you would have thought that was like an old school scenario where we didn't have the stage breaks anymore. So it shows you that, yes, the stage breaks, obviously they can do an awful lot for bunching folks up and, you know, obviously helping more folks to finish on the lead lap. Didn't seem to come into effect here, though, surprisingly. No, it didn't. And so beyond Kyle Busch, Michael McDowell, he finished 22nd. You had Justin Haley, who came home 23rd. Eric Almarola came home 24th, and then from here we'll jump around a little bit. You had Austin Sindrick, who finished 26th, Austin Dillon, who finished 27th, Chase Briscoe came home 30th, Joey Logano finished 31st. Notice we haven't talked about Kyle Larson since that mention earlier. So that accident that Kyle Larson was involved in that also involved Brennan Poole, Kyle Larson finished a disappointing 32nd, and... uh, was actually making a charge, looking like he was going to be yes. taking the lead there with how much speed that he had. So, uh, you know, and obviously Kyle, he was very, very upset over the radio, just saying literally, like, what is what is Chastain doing? Yep. And uh, yep. I, I think that was obviously just very, uh, not only choice words, but I think just perfectly timed because, yeah, what was Ross Chastain doing? <laughs> obviously that early on, Agreed. putting, you know, just being that aggressive and then just ruining the race for another driver just, again, just makes me shake my head. And uh, beyond Kyle Larson, just a couple more you had, uh, and we'll, of course we'll mention it, Brennan Poole, he finished 33rd. Noah Gregson came home 34th. And then uh, last in the notables, Daniel Suarez, who finished a very, very disappointing 35th. You know, Daniel Suarez has been quiet here the last couple weeks yes. for Trackhouse Racing and kind of wondering when uh, when he's going to get things turned around. But uh, finishes like this kind of make you start, to, n- not so much to doubt, I think, but just uh, just makes you start to wonder just how long it's going to be before this team really looks competitive again. Because, it, again, it's been a very quiet couple weeks. It really has. And so transitioning over to the Xfinity Series race, it seemed like the Xfinity, they were like the one, it seemed like the one event over Dover weekend that was not impacted <laughs> by the weather. I know. Just enough of a dry spot to where they were able to get this one in. The Xfinity Series race on Saturday, the A-Game 200, Ryan Truex, obviously the younger brother of Martin, Getting getting finally his first victory. I mean, we've seen him for a long, long time now, just running at the different levels of NASCAR, Cup, Xfinity, and Trucks. Hasn't been able to secure the best of rides, but obviously has a ride now with Joe Gibbs Racing, running part-time, leads 124 out of the 200 laps, and finally gets his first victory, you know, at, at just at any of the major three series of NASCAR. An incredible win, and uh, obviously this weekend it belonged to the Truexes when all was said and done. <laughs> it sure did, yeah. And I thought that, yeah, that may, and that very well may open some eyes to you know for him to land a full time ride in Xfinity with you know one of the better teams, maybe with Joe Gibbs. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it, you know because obviously you saw. I mean, he showed what he can do given good equipment. I mean, at a track that's not necessarily easy to yeah, to get around. Yeah, not so. At all. So absolutely, and he dominated the race, so it was a, an impressive performance. And I think the thing to think about with Joe Gibbs Racing is it does seem like basically every year that there is some shift as far as just the drivers basically that, you know, are running yeah. the are running the cars at the Xfinity Series level. So you never know. Ryan Truex, you know, just knowing, obviously, I mean, Joe's very familiar with Martin. That goes without saying. You never know. Ryan Truex, he very well could actually seize a full-time ride with Joe Gibbs Racing going forward because of something like this. I'm sure he's probably yeah. going to be running maybe a couple more races with the team this year. Maybe he gets another win or another two or whatever, and you never know. He could end yeah. up sealing the deal and, uh, again, going full-time for this team. So definitely something to watch out for. But just, 
again, just very, very notable, not only just because he won the race in general, but just because this has been a long, a long, long time coming and just, you know, seeing all the success that Martin was having, you just always wondered, it's like, man, what happened to Ryan to where he couldn't do it? Well, you can't say that anymore. He finally got it done. Absolutely. And finishing right behind Ryan Truex, uh, Josh Berry. So continuing the <laughs> banner weekend right there, uh, not only a top five in this one, but just finishing in the top 10 in both races over the weekend. Just uh, very, very solid for Josh Berry. And just again, just yeah. continuing to prove his credibility. And one of his teammates at Junior Motorsports, Justin Allgaier, he finished third in this one. Great run for him. Another great run for Austin Hill. Just has been very, very consistent this season for Richard Childress Racing. He finishes fourth, leads 18 laps on the day, so very solid. Speaking of solid, rounding out the top five, John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, great season he's putting together in the Xfinity Series. Sure is, yeah. And one of his teammates with Joe Gibbs Racing, Sammy Smith, he came home in sixth place in this race. Uh, Cole Custer for Stuart Haas Racing came home in seventh. Brandon Jones uh, with Junior Motorsports in eighth. His teammate, Sam Mayer, he came home in ninth. And then Daniel Hemrick, former champion for college racing, came home in tenth. Sheldon Creed, he finished in 11th, led 41 laps on the day. How interesting is this also? Just got to call this out really quickly. Only 10 drivers finishing on the lead lap in this one. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So both races over the weekend, kind of seeing the same scenario, just, again, yeah, find, really bizarre. find that so crazy just with the stage breaks. You would think that wouldn't happen. After Sheldon Creed, you had Kaz Grala, who finished 12th. Chandler Smith came home a very solid 13th. We'll just jump around a little bit from here. Brett Moffitt came home 15th. Ryan Seed came home 16th. Parker Retzlaff came home 17th. You had Jeb Burton, who finished 18th. I'll take two more from here, and then I'll let you take the rest, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Clements, he finished 19th, and then Derek Krause finished 20th. Riley Erbst, he came home in 21st. Josh Williams in 23rd. Uh, I can't say his name now without thinking about him parking his car uh, and, and walking away at, at Atlanta. Um, <laughs> Brennan Puller in this race also actually finished 24th. Um Great, excuse me, Raja Karuth finished 26th, Kyle Sieg 29th, Timmy Hill in 30th, Chad Chastain, he came home in 32nd, Corey Heim in 35th, Jeffrey Earnhardt in 37th, and Parker Kligerman in last in 38th. I just have to make one more comment about Josh Williams. I cannot remember the sponsor, but Josh Williams did just pick up a new sponsorship recently. It might actually be a parking company of all... Uh, it doesn't surprise all me. I, all I know That's is... quite I, funny. I can't remember the company. I'll have to look it up. But I do know that in the press release for the sponsorship, the company actually like more or less acknowledged that it was that Atlanta incident that opened up their hey. eyes. And it's like, well, hey, let's. he seems to have a personality. Let's go ahead and go with him. So... <laughs> <laughs> his silly antics gained a sponsor that's not bad that's not a bad thing not a bad uh thing at all it's one of those things where you know you're trying to give somebody a slap on the wrist or whatever i guess that's not quite the way to do it when you're uh you're rewarding you're rewarding behavior like that but yeah I, I just have to laugh though because at the very least it's, th it's a throwback to the days of old obviously where it seemed like the drivers were a bit a bit less shy about the antics and all that and so at the very least i love it because i mean yeah you don't necessarily want to encourage bad behavior but Again, it's a throwback. Come on. You yeah, can't, no. I you know, and especially because think about it. I, I mean, I'm just going to try to tie this, a random way of tying this in, but it's like we have North Wilkesboro coming up, the throwback of throwbacks for the All-Star yep. Race. We obviously have throwback weekend coming up here soon for Darlington. Throwback, you know, just in these two instances and just the others they do throughout the season. You can't have enough of that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I guess that's I guess that's a long-winded way of me saying I kind of wish some of the crazy antics, the really crazy <laughs> antics, I kind of wish some of it would come back just no, for exciting purposes. Speaking of excitement, one more race to recap over the weekend, that being the Children's Grand Prix of Alabama, or Children's of Alabama Grand Prix, excuse me, and that being for IndyCar. 
you know, and this is what, maybe only the second or third race, obviously, at, at Barber Motorsports Park that, you know, we've been covering, obviously, since adding IndyCar to our slate here at the Speedcast. I think this is a very, very cool track. I just, I love seeing the races here, and uh, I think this driver who won the race, he certainly loved this one. That being Scott McLaughlin, um, hasn't won in a little while, obviously dating back to last season in 2022. Led 24 laps on the day, and uh, we'll cover points here in a little bit for the first time this season for IndyCar, so we'll see where he stands at this point. But, uh, you know, we had the recent win, obviously, with... Uh, with Kyle Kirkwood and then another one of the youngsters here, Scott McLaughlin, winning, have to almost wonder if maybe a, uh, not so much a changing of the guard, but maybe is it a new leaf being turned over here for IndyCar that now yeah. the youngsters are starting to win with a pretty decent consistency. Yeah, that would be really cool to see, honestly, though, because, I mean, it would be a good sign for, uh, you know, for, for, what, for what's to come for the future. Absolutely so, because, I mean, we had that long-winded discussion, obviously, recently yeah. with the Kyle Kirkwood win, where, you know, the future is very much in the hands of the youngsters in IndyCar and NASCAR, too. So, uh, again, again, just great to see emergences like this. An almost emergence for Romain Grosjean. He finished second. He's still searching for his first win in IndyCar, and, man, he almost got it done in this one, leading 57 yeah. out of the 90 laps. I think he was happy, certainly, with the result, but I thought his post-race said it all. You know, he was trying to maintain as much of a positive, just a positive outlook on it as he could, but you could just tell how dejected he was to not get it done. Because it seemed like yeah. out, of, out of the couple times that it's almost happened, this was obviously his best chance so far leading that many laps. 100%, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, him and Scott McLaughlin had a pretty good battle there mm -hmm. for a little while before Scott finally took, took over and then ended up winning the race. So, but yeah, it was definitely a, a, a good one. And yeah, he's going to have to keep hunting for it because it, it I mean, you know it's coming. It's just, uh, honestly, just a matter of when at this point. And I think, you know, obviously Andretti Autosport, they've been no stranger, obviously, to putting drivers in victory lane. Obviously, it just happened with Kirkwood. So the speed is certainly there, and really, I think at that point, it's just up to the driver talent. Romain Grosjean's a former F1 driver, obviously, in IndyCar right. now. It's going to happen at some point. I think just, I think for him, it's just a matter of just staying the course, just remaining patient. It'll happen sooner versus later. Will Power, he finished third in this one. Very strong run for him. It had been a little bit of a quiet start to the season for the defending champion. Yeah. So a finish like this, obviously, was a very welcome sight. Also a welcome sight, the finish for Pato Award. He finished fourth in this one, and then rounding out the top five, former champion Alex Pelot. Christian Lungard, he came home in sixth in this one. Scott Dixon in seventh. Alexander Rossi, he came home in eighth. His teammate, Felix Rosequist, came home in ninth. And then coming home in tenth place is, or excuse me, was Marcus Erickson. And from there, another Marcus, that being Marcus Armstrong, making the start in this one for Ganassi. He finished in 11th. Long Beach winner Kyle Kirkwood wasn't able to replicate the feat here at Alabama. He finished 12th. Callum Eilat, he came home 13th. What a quiet day for Colton Hurd yeah. finishing 14th. One of the young guns of the sport, obviously, who uh, a lot of eyes on him, and you're wondering when he's going to break through and uh, get a win, obviously, this season. Also, when's the consistency going to come back? Colton, Colton Hurd, another one that's had a quiet start here in the 2023 season. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, he finished 15th, and then I'll just take two more from here, and then I'll let you have the last ones, Jeremy. You had Renus VK, who finished 16th, and then Graham Rahal came home 17th. Simon Pagano, he came home in 18th in this. Uh, David Malukas in 19th. Helio Castro-Nevis, he came home in 21st. Um, Devlin DeFrancisco, he came home in 23rd. Jack Harvey in 24th. Connor Daly in 25th, and then coming home in last, just because I want to say the name, Stingray Rob. An interesting guy, uh, driving guy. Uh, driving with uh, uh rick ware racing yeah so uh we're gonna have some news obviously about rick ware or as relates to rick ware racing here yeah, in a little while are. so uh just certainly worthy of mentioning just from the team standpoint yeah what a name stingray rob um <laughs> did, i went to the nashville uh 
IndyCar race weekend in 2022, and he was running in the Indy Light Series. Okay. Basically, right. the Xfinity, basically like their version of Xfinity Series. And uh, just and just thought, man, that is that is some name. Like I just thought it was so interesting, and and now he's actually running some with the with the top series this year. So at the very least, there's relevance there, just knowing he ran in Indy Lights. Because if you, you admittedly, I don't follow Indy Lights as much as I should. I'm I'm familiar with a couple of the drivers, but I uh, I would have thought that Stingray Rob was just say a road course ringer for this weekend. So just good to know again, obviously that just. You know, it's not not just that funny name and not just a oh, course ringer. Obviously, yeah. somebody who's been involved in Indy some who made that start. So, anyways, that being said, we're going to segue over now to point standings coverage. And we're going to, of course, start with NASCAR, that being the Cup Series. So, after Dover weekend, just looking at things here as we are right now, it's the Battle of the Kyles at the very yeah. top. Um, Kyle Busch, he leads the way in the standings, two wins on the season, and right behind him, obviously I just mentioned it, the other Kyle, that being Kyle Larson, also with two wins on the season. The last of the two race winners is William Byron. He sits in third in the standings. Christopher Bell, I think, making that case for, uh, you know, like we said, being that number one at Joe Gibbs Racing. He sits in fourth currently, though right behind him, Martin Truex Jr. moves up a good way in the standings by virtue of his win at Dover. He rounds out the top five. So uh, looking good for Martin Truex Jr. Much different story than uh, than last season where he was on the outside looking. Oh, absolutely. Tyler Reddick, he's currently sitting in sixth in the standings. Joey Logano is in seventh. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. currently sitting in eighth, and he's actually the last driver uh, at this point um, with a win this year. Ross Chastain has the most overall points of any driver in the field, but is currently ninth in the standings because he has not won a race. So just pretty pretty wild. Uh, Christopher Bell had that lead actually not too long ago yep. with the most points, so Ross actually just took that over. And then sitting currently in 10th at the moment, Kevin Harvick. At least Ross Chastain's got that going for him as far as the uh, points because he's not making any friends on the track, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and before we move on, just have to mention very quickly, how interesting is it that uh, – Joey Logano and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., almost identical as far as uh, amount of points. Yeah. You know, we knew that Stenhouse was having a relatively quiet season, but I think that's uh, some evidence there that Joey Logano, he's had some good finishes, but he's also obviously had some troubles. Yeah, Joey Joey has five top tens, and uh, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has four. mm -hmm. I mean, so definitely not much of a difference there. Each have one win. Um, Joey has three top fives to Ricky's two. I mean, very similar seasons yeah. between the two so far. It's pretty wild. And I will say that Stenhouse, for as quiet as he was after the Daytona 500, do have to acknowledge it does seem like he has been picking things up here a little bit, seemingly more closer to the top 15, or obviously, as we just saw at Dover, he did finish in the top 15. Yeah. So obviously is getting things moving, I think, back in the right direction after a, a quiet couple weeks after Daytona. But uh, I really think if Stenhouse is going to be a playoff or is going to be a championship contender, obviously he's going to have to win more than one race. And he's just going to have to, he's almost going to have to, I think, become a fixture in the top five or just prove that they can be in the top five, obviously more than just the occasional win that they have here and there. Right. So that being said, outside of the top 10, Ryan Blaney, just funny, just, we mentioned earlier, just the long winless drought. Ryan Blaney, you know, he's had a decent season, relatively consistent, but only good enough for 11th so far. So you know that obviously, maybe not sweating it so much, obviously still much of the season left to go, but, uh, mm. you know, again, just waiting waiting to get that victory. And have, hi, heck, he's been one of the drivers who has the highest amount of top 10s. He's got six of them this yeah. season. So really the only thing he hasn't been doing is winning. I know we're belaboring that point, but again, that's just more evidence of it. Definitely. Right behind Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, he sits in 12th. Brad Keselowski, so this is going to now speak more to that consistency of RFK Racing. 
Brad Keselowski sits in 13th in the standings and right behind him, Chris Buescher in 14th. You know, Buescher yep. was right there only in 16th, sometimes 17th, a couple times we've covered the standings. So Chris Buescher has been consistent enough where you see him obviously ascending up a little bit. Definitely very, very good to see. Definitely encouraging. Then finishing out the top 16, I'll, I'll let you take the drivers below the bubble after that. You know, Alex Bowman, obviously missing some races here, is not doing him any favors as far as losing out in potential points. He slipped all the way down to 15th in the standings, and obviously yeah. with uh, the next race he's going to miss, he's going to be outside of the top 16 here very shortly. Definitely. So he's in 15th right now, and then holding the last of what would be what would be the transfer spots for the playoffs is Chase Briscoe sitting in 16th currently. Currently, Daniel Suarez is sitting in 17th, uh, 19 points behind at the moment, behind the cutoff. Ty Gibbs is in 18th. He is 22 points back. And then Austin Sindrick currently sitting in 19th. He is 26 points back. And then we'll go one more down to Michael McDowell sitting in 20th. And he is 33 points behind right now. So then from there, we'll transition over to the Xfinity Series now. And just looking at things for them, it's of no surprise. Austin Hill, he's still at the very top of the list in the standings. He's the only driver with three wins on the season so far. Right behind him, though, John Hunter Nemechek, and we said just what a season he's been putting together. Two wins so far this season. I think most importantly, uh, tied for the lead in top tens here in this playoff picture with Mm -hmm. eight of them. So, again, just what a season. Chandler Smith, uh, you know, he's been getting his feet wet full-time in Xfinity this year and uh, really has come out of the gate looking strong, actually, in third in the standings currently. No relation to the Smith behind him, that being Sammy Smith, who sits in fourth, um, also with one win on the season. And then the last of the race winners, who ironically rounds out the top five, is Jeb Burton, also with one win on the season. Cole Custer, he is currently sitting in sixth in the standings. And Josh Berry um, sitting in seventh, and he is actually the driver that John Henry Nemechek is tied with mm-hmm. in most top tens currently, so really impressive by him. Justin Allgaier, he's sitting in eighth. Sheldon Creed currently sits in ninth. And then Riley Erbst is in 10th. And then from there, you have Daniel Hemrick, who sits in 11th. Sam Mayer, he occupies the last of the transfer spots, currently sitting in 12th. And then the battle below the bubble, so to speak. Brandon Jones sits in 13th currently, uh, if I'm doing my math correct here, only nine points below the cut line. So in pretty good shape, I think, all things considered. Parker Kligerman sits in 14th, and a driver that, you know... Obviously, we're not used to seeing him like winning a bunch or running towards the front a whole bunch, though he has nabbed the occasional win in the truck series. Yep. But he actually has had a relatively successful season so far and has been semi-consistent with four top tens. So he's hanging in there only 19 points below the cut line. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is he going to make the playoffs? It's certainly not a guarantee, but I think it's just notable just how well he's been doing so far. So just want to make special yep. mention of that. Uh, Ryan Sieg, he sits in 15th currently, and then we'll just cover one more driver, obviously a notable name from the truck series who's now who's now applying his uh, trade, so to speak, in Xfinity. That's Brett Moffitt, who sits in 16th currently. Then we mentioned earlier we're going to start covering the IndyCar standings, so we're going to cover the top 10 for them and uh, get the ball rolling after four races. So Marcus Erickson is being propped up, I think, a little bit by his victory that he got in the first race of the season. He sits in first in the standings currently. Uh, right behind him, you have Pato Award. Let me make sure I'm covering these points also just to highlight how tight this is. Pato Award sits in second. He's only three points below Erickson right now. Alex Pillow, obviously a former champion, he sits in third currently, only nine points below Erickson. Scott McLaughlin obviously got a little bit of a lift there by that win at Alabama. He sits in fourth in the standings, only 11 points below Erickson. And then Romain Grosjean rounds out the top five, only 15 points below Erickson. So that is how close they are in this points picture. Yeah, very tight race, absolutely. Separates out a little bit once you get to sixth. Uh, Joseph Newgarden has a win this year, uh, but is 25 points behind Erickson at the moment. 
Will Power, defending champion, is in 7th, 26 points behind. Scott Dixon in 8th, 32 points behind. Kyle, Kirk, Kyle Kirkwood is currently sitting in 9th. He's 38 points back. And then Colton Herta down in 10th is 45 points back. It's, so the drivers below 5th definitely have some work to do to to close the gap a bit, if you will. Absolutely, absolutely. And I will say that I'm actually surprised to see Colton Herta as high up in the standings as he is because I really didn't think that he was having a good enough season to be in the top 10. So kind of lucky right now, and I'm not going to call it a mulligan, but I think just he's going to have to pick it up. And again, just expectations are relatively high for him just being, again, one of the more high-profile young drivers of the sport. Yeah. So with that, we're going to move over to news and notes now. And we're going to start, of course, at the very top with the ratings. And I think you said it best, Jeremy, just when we when we learned of this rain out, obviously, before the race on Sunday, you said something to the effect of, there goes the ratings. And, yeah. You know, that goes without saying. Anytime a race gets moved to Monday, that's pretty much going to sink the ratings. So, mm-hmm. obviously, that's our way of saying take these ratings with a grain of salt because, again, it was a Monday race. So, Jeremy, I'll go ahead and let you take the lead as far as the okay. ratings were concerned for Dover. FS1 averaged 1.067 million viewers. Um, for the race, that was obviously down from 1.487 last year, and last year's race was run on a Sunday. Um, so it uh, obviously it was definitely uh, a huge factor, and and you know the fact that it was run on Monday at 11 a.m. Central oh, yeah. Time, you know that that's right in the middle of a workday. So yeah, I mean, me admittedly, you know, I think I told you it's like right as this thing started at 11 o'clock Central Time, you know, I had like a weekly meeting had to do on Monday, so I had it on, but needless to say, wasn't really able to pay attention for the first 30 minutes of the race, and right. obviously we weren't the only ones who were in that boat, and then obviously there would have been some folks that they probably wouldn't have had the ability to tune in, so right. that's just kind of the unfortunate nature of it, but you know, at the very least, you can't say too much about it being a ratings drop, because again, it's a postponement, it's a Monday race, so at the very least, not really much to worry about for NASCAR. At least thought it was notable that we do have the ratings for the race at Barber Motorsports Park for IndyCar because, you know, obviously it makes sense just to kind of look at them a little bit as well. Their race on Sunday averaged a .57 Nielsen rating and 930,000 viewers, relatively flat from last year, which was a .59 rating and 920,000 viewers. I think just my only thing with this is just, you know, just continuing from our conversation from last week, it's just... I know it's only going to be small bumps if we are going to see bumps in the IndyCar ratings. I'm really wanting to see that number bump up, though, because I really do feel like the IndyCar has a very, very unique opportunity right now where obviously they're many years removed since the whole split between CART and IRL. They've had so much time now that they've been back together. There just has to be a way to grow the sport from here. You have the exciting young drivers. Obviously, the quality of the racing has been excellent through the first four races. IndyCar seems to have all the ingredients, but for whatever reason, they just they struggle in the ratings in a way that I really just don't understand. I guess it's yeah, it's really a, it's really unusual. I mean, it it did they do go on to say that um, counting streaming was nine hundred seventy two thousand, making it the most watched barber race on record. But yeah, still though, you definitely I would I would hope hopefully you know obviously seeing it go over a million would definitely be good for <laughs> Indy, but uh, it. it we're still waiting on that. At the very least, they do have their feather in the cap coming up because we know the month of May is the Indianapolis 500. So that's oh, yeah. uh, obviously something to think about. That's always their highest rating every Definitely. single year as far as, uh, or, or highest rated race as far as television ratings, right. I should say. So they've got that coming up. It's definitely going to be something to look forward to just from a ratings coverage standpoint. And it's the Indy 500, obviously one of the best, arguably the greatest of all North American auto races every single year. Definitely so, so coming up very soon, couldn't be more excited about it. We transition over to our next piece that's not very exciting for this team, that being Richard Childress Racing. And admittedly, I joked with Jeremy before we started recording, and I said, I'm going to take the bullet for this. And Jeremy's like, there's no bullet to take. 
Well, yes, there is, because this was an important piece of news that we missed several weeks ago. After Martinsville weekend, the number three team, again, for Richard Childress Racing, they were actually issued a relatively large penalty because of another one of those illegal modifications of parts. Here is the penalty after Martinsville. The team was fined $75,000, docked 60 points and five playoff points in the owner standings. Dylan himself was, or Austin Dylan himself was docked 60 points and five playoff points. And of course, uh, crew, chief, or crew chief Keith Rodden getting tongue-tied. He was suspended for two races. I think that kind of explains a little bit more, Jeremy, of why we haven't been seeing Austin Dylan hanging up there in the point standings because that penalty would have been issued several uh, weeks ago. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge killer. I mean, it's a lot of points, so... Um definitely a big hole and then they you know and they weren't running great to begin with so yeah and then having that uh kind of weighing you down too is 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 definitely um discouraging for them and then when you see your teammate kyle bush going out there he's already won a couple of races Mm -hmm. you know it's definitely got to be putting pressure on them oh absolutely absolutely and of course the reason why this is coming up now i mean yes we wanted to cover this just a couple weeks after the fact But obviously the team, it goes without saying, they appealed this penalty, which also the penalty officially was a violation of the assembled vehicle rules and the car's underwing assembly and hardware. So they they put out their appeal trying to get this thing overturned or at the very least just lessened in severity. And the results of the appeal, they came back this week, this article recovering beyond the flag.com as of May 3rd. Here was the result of the appeal. Um, So the panel, that being the uh, panel, obviously, that they look at the appeals and such and they... They make their decision. The panel issued a statement after the ruling, and the quote is as follows. As submitted, the nuts are not a thread locking device. They are connected and part of the turnbuckle. The nuts do not lock the assembly, therefore the assembly has been modified. So it goes without saying they're they're considering it a modification. The penalty stands. Yep. So they don't get the 60 points back, and uh, you can't help but wonder if that's going to bury Austin Dillon, just like what we were seeing last season with Brad Keselowski with the huge penalty that he suffered you know, and was carrying, right. I should say, for most of the season. And let's just – we can look at it real quick. He is actually, with the penalty, sitting in 31st mm-hmm. in the standings. Now, without that penalty, he would be 24th. Obviously not in a good position oh, yeah, even yeah. without it. Just put in retrospect, he's sitting in 31st place in the standings right now. Obviously, with the penalty, Chase Elliott missed six races – and it's currently in 29th right now. Hmm. So that's just – just tell, tells you how crazy of a situation uh, that is, which which speaking of Chase Elliott, I know we're going a lot off the topic here, but still have not – it's just still baffling me. We have not heard anything about a, uh, about waivers or, or anything like that whatsoever. And I mean, you would imagine that's not going to be an issue, but it's just odd that we haven't seen that official statement that – a waiver has been granted, you I'm, know, barring, you know, obviously having to win. Like, I think the, the qualifications, you have to be in the top 30 in points and at least, you know, and win mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, and maybe that's why we haven't heard it yet, just because he, has he hasn't. To win. Yeah, maybe it's that. I don't know. But, Could I mean, be. I'm pretty sure, though, we were, I'm trying to recall, I feel like we'd had situations here in the last couple of years where the, a driver had missed time and they had not won a race and they were granted the waiver. It's funny that we're going to have some news about Ryan Newman here in a little bit, but wasn't Ryan Newman granted a waiver after that huge crash at Daytona in 2020? I feel like he was, but I could be wrong. Sounds right. Yeah, I think if, so. I feel like that he was granted the waiver in the event that had he won the race or won a race and had enough points. So, the, and I could be wrong. I could be recalling that wrongly, but I I swear I thought I remember that he was granted that waiver. That sounds right. So I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that it was just a given, and so therefore it has not made headlines. I mean, obviously we've scoured the news and such here over the last several weeks looking for it, and we have not seen it. So maybe it is going to be a situation where once he wins a race, because I think it's going to be a matter of when, not if, 
maybe it's going to be a situation where once he wins, then we're going to get the official news about it. But yeah, it is definitely strange though. Just when you, you know, just consider that, like you said. And so as far as the next piece of news and notes, um, you know, it's funny, we go from one controversy to another. This is a controversy, at least in a different way. And it'll be more apparent, obviously, as we go into it, just some of the quotes and just some of the things really that you think about. Legacy Motor Club. You know, we know it's a pretty big season for them. Obviously, Eric Jones, he's in the 43. Noah Gregson's in the 42, obviously running full-time for the first time in his career at the Cup Series level. So there were relatively big expectations from the get-go. Then there was the news about Jimmy Johnson running in the 84, and obviously now he is a part owner of Legacy Motor Club. I mean, heck, they rebranded, obviously, partially because Jimmy, with his ownership stake. And now we get the news that broke uh, as of two days ago, May 3rd. We'll just read the headline. This is coming from autoweek.com. Legacy Motor Club, Toyota, expect NASCAR move will upset some fans. Yeah. We don't even have to get into the nuts and bolts yet, but, I mean, just the proof is in the headline. We know this team is affiliated with Chevy at this point. They're moving over to Toyota, and this is, I believe, Jeremy, going to give now Toyota, I think, something like their ninth and 10th full-time cars now in the in the field now, or maybe it's going to be eight. I can't remember, but either way, it's yeah. between eight and 10. Yeah. So it's a big move for Toyota. They add, obviously, to their roster. Just kind of crazy to consider this, though, because Jimmy Johnson, like, literally has known no other manufacturer in NASCAR over his whole career except for Chevy. So as far as, like, say, like, that brand loyalty and such, I'm actually a little bit shocked by this move out of the gate. When I was reading about this last night, I'm not going to say my jaw dropped, but I was definitely surprised as I read this. Yeah, no, it's definitely a big deal because, I mean, Jimmy Johnson fans and and fans of the 43, you know, that they're definitely, you know— They've been so they, they haven't been affiliated with a with Toyota uh, at any point. You know it's been all you know uh, with Chevrolet, and so this is a big this is a big changeover and a big transition for for you know people that are diehard about a manufacturer as well. You know this is a big deal. It certainly is, and I, I thought it was interesting. We'll, we're going to start to get into some of the quotes with this and just kind of dissect them a little bit. It was interesting, though, that just as this was all being announced, and obviously the details were emerging, Jimmy Johnson had said, well, Richard has signed off on this. And I kind of find that a little bit hard to believe because, uh, and I'm not saying Jimmy's lying, but just I guess I find that hard to fathom is what I should say right. because, you know, uh, Richard Petty has also been affiliated with Chevy for so long. just feels yep. so strange that, you know, just have these two titans of Chevrolet and they're moving over to Toyota. Yeah, no, it's definitely an. I mean, it has to be just a really good opportunity, and you know, just a, a chance to really help the team grow and and broaden to the to the future. I think so, certainly, and that was definitely evident. I think in the quotes, both from Toyota side and Legacy Motor Club. We'll start with Toyota Racing Development President David Wilson. Just in summation of all this, he had said this is not reactive because we we knew it was coming. The new next gen car has changed the way we race, so there's been a plan to add to our family. We've been incredibly fortunate to have some interest to get where we are today, but I'm not naive any longer. I realize this will be a polarizing partnership for Jimmy Johnson fans and number 43 fans. Some of them won't be thrilled with this. They'll probably feel it's sacrilegious, but I can't worry about that. Jimmy Johnson continued on. He acknowledged the same. He said, I understand how polarizing this will be for some fans, but we have the full support of Richard Petty. Um, And then... uh, Wilson, he continued on, um, just in summation of just when this, when the talks began with Maury Gallagher and Jimmy Johnson, he acknowledged that basically these conversations, they've been going on a few months. He said it hasn't been that long. Right from the first conversation, we all had a vision of the potential. Maury and I have been garage friends for years, so maybe I had a head start with him. I think I talked about it with Jimmy at Phoenix last fall. 
Um, continuing on, the sweet spot is between 8 and 10 quality teams and quality drivers. You can rest assured we're done for the 2024 season. Maury and Jimmy are taking a chance on us, so the pressure is on us to deliver. We're accountable anytime we bring new partners into the fold, and this will not compromise our relationships with Joe Gibbs Racing in 2311. I do believe that David Wilson is certainly being genuine in saying that, yeah. but just as you continue to allocate more resources, though, you do have to wonder, is this going to spread things thin a little bit? So I almost have to wonder how actually Joe Gibbs Racing and 2311 Racing feel about this, knowing that, you know, obviously conflict of interest is not the right word, but just knowing that, you know, if you're kind of spreading out that pool of resources a little bit, mm-hmm. unless Toyota is upping their commitment, I wonder if this might actually hurt those two teams again, uh, JGR and 2311. That's really interesting to consider because, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, the fact that you're going to be gaining more resources, um, I mean, I don't know. I, obviously, we're going to see how this plays out. And I did actually, when we were going through this, this is actually be cars number seven and eight okay, yep. in the Toyota lineup. Uh, JGR's four, 2311's two, and then the two with this team. So, uh, Legacy Motor Club. And I'm glad you summed up because that's kind of why I stopped short of calling it 10 earlier because I started doing the math in my head a little bit <laughs> as I was saying that earlier. And I just kind of stopped and it's like, well, all right, I guess I've got that wrong. So, thank you for covering me, Jeremy. Boy, the, the 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 great thing about being back in person, there's no de- there's no delays because of Zoom. You have the live feedback. Thank you, my good sir. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing on, just we're going to continue to put a pretty bow on this. Jimmy Johnson, a further quote from him, he called this a foundational move that will put us on equal footing with Joe Gibbs Racing and 2311 Racing. This deep alignment with Toyota will help us grow for years and will give us the, the best opportunity to be successful through the years. It's a strategic move that will put us in a great position to be competitive in 2024 and beyond. Maury and I admire and respect the level at which Toyota conducts their business, but in November, I didn't expect we'd be here today. That's basically, I think, the biggest take-home quote of all of this. Just them, I mean, they made this change, obviously, just with the interest of being competitive going forward. And I really do think when all is said and done, I mean, we've seen both 2311 Racing, obviously Joe Gibbs Racing, We've seen both of those uh, organizations win races now at the NASCAR Cup Series level with yeah, Toyota's backing. Definitely. You do have to think, obviously, the Legacy Motor Club could be in line with that if things remain, you know, as far as competitiveness, if things remain as we've seen them. I couldn't agree more. So huge news, obviously, from that standpoint. And relatively huge news also that's going to finish out news and notes for this week. Um, another headline that we'll just kind of leech off of at the very beginning before we go into any quotes Uh, Newman returning to NASCAR Cup Series with Rick Ware Racing. So we mentioned Rick Ware earlier, obviously, just in a bit of humor, but uh, on a very serious level, though, Ryan Newman coming back. We know that Rick Ware Racing, obviously a team that, you know, yeah, they're not going to be mistaken for being one of the elite teams, you know, for NASCAR at the Cup Series level. But, you know, just giving chances to drivers, obviously, you know, some young drivers that have gotten their feet wet with this team and then maybe go on to do other things. I think it is cool at the very least that even if Ryan Newman will not be in a competitive ride in select races that he's going to run, just having a driver of his magnitude, though, and just the legacy, most importantly, just important, just uh, from that standpoint that he's coming back. Yeah, no, I thought it was cool when I saw the headline. Uh, I think Bob Pockers or somebody tweeted it out, and I, th- I thought that was really cool to see that you know a, a driver like Newman was coming back and you know getting to see him run in select races. So I think it's it's awesome. Absolutely, and he's going to make his first appearance with the team at the next race after this upcoming weekend. It's going to be next weekend at Darlington Raceway. 
I mean, 18 times a winner at the Cup Series level. Uh, Runner-up, I believe, in 2014, I believe it was, for the championship right behind Kevin Harvick. So, yeah, he was never able to win a championship, but again, just a storied career. This will be his first race since 2021, um, 725 career starts. So he's going to add just to that legacy just with more starts. Mm -hmm. Um, His quotes after this, he had said, or I should say his quotes just uh, for this announcement, I'm grateful for the opportunity to to work with Rick Ware Racing. I think this will be good for all of us with our combined experience and knowledge. Being part of the throwback weekend at one of my favorite tracks in Darlington is pretty special. After recently being named one of NASCAR's 75 greatest drivers, it carries even some significance. And I've been, we actually have not talked about that, Jeremy. There has been that list recently just with NASCAR talking about the 75 greatest drivers as they've been releasing a list. I wasn't aware that Ryan Newman was on the list, but I think it's definitely a well-deserved accolade. Very long career, and again, you win 18 races, you don't do that by accident. I think he definitely belongs on the list. I think in, in, you know, in a future episode, um, maybe in the offseason, because I know a lot of our shows during the season are pretty packed, maybe we can go through the list of the 75 greatest drivers that, that NASCAR announced and kind of, you know, just kind of give our, you know, retrospect and just, you know, opinions on them and kind of break it up into segments and do a, you know, a handful of drivers a week. I think that'd be a really good off-season uh, topic, just because, like I said, with in-season, it's it's pretty packed. But I think that would be a really cool thing to, to dive into because, um, you know, they released the 50 greatest drivers back in 98. Mm-hmm. Well, 25 more years have passed, and a lot more NASCAR drivers have, have come through. So to add 25 more uh, drivers to that list, you've got to be – among the best to, to get added on to that. So absolutely. And I think it would tie in very well with the episode we did a couple years ago where we covered drivers just in our own personal lists of some of the greatest of all time. It would be great just to see that just as far as where NASCAR has them ranked and just kind of compare and contrast versus our thoughts of, yeah. from a couple seasons ago when we did that episode. I think that's a great idea, Jeremy. We yeah. will absolutely do that at some point going forward here in the not too distant future. That being said, we're now going to move over to race previews. First time we've done this in person in quite some time, and I'm going to make sure I've got the sponsorship the sponsorship info for this correctly. Excuse me. Getting tongue-tied. When you're in person, you're just so excited you can't help but get tongue-tied. So this race at Kansas Speedway, the Advent Health 400. There we go. I got it. I didn't mess it. So obviously, as it, as it goes without saying, as we always do, just looking at the drivers filtered by average finish, At the very top of the list, one of the elder statesmen, Kevin Harvick, we've said it ad nauseum, the final season of his NASCAR Cup Series career, 34 starts at Kansas, is a three-time winner at this track, 12 top fives, 19 top tens, good average finish of 9.9. Is it set up for a victory, though, for Harvick in the number four? Controversially, maybe. I mean, we've talked a lot about controversy in this episode, so maybe controversially, I'm just going to come out and say it right now. I don't think it's set up for victory. I mean, he's had a decent season. He's, he's not, been fairly consistent. Yeah, he's not been terrible. He's been consistent. Just haven't really seen, though, that sign that a win is coming. I yeah, mean, like where he's running up there in the top two or three and, and looks like he has a chance. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? He hasn't had that type of look to it so far. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's just I, I just get that feeling. I don't, think it, I don't think he's in line for the win in this one, but I do think he'll probably have a relatively decent finish. I mean, you just said it. He's been pretty consistent this right. season. I at least expect that just to, you know, I expect him to toe the line so to speak as far as consistency of this season well chase elliott didn't run as well at at dover last week as you know as either of us thought but he is coming to a track that he also runs very well at um and that being kansas in his 14 starts here he has one victory to go with six top fives and eight top tens average finish of 11.2 so obviously with his you know the injury situation you know i i have no doubts he is going to win multiple races this year it's just getting that first one you know checked off especially after coming back from injury 
Well, I mean, this is one of his better tracks, mm-hmm. so I definitely think this is a prime opportunity for him to get that done, potentially. So I think he was circling this one on the calendar several weeks ago, probably, as he was returning to, or preparing to return to action, and uh, needless to say, he's still going to have it circled on his calendar yeah. as we head into this weekend. Speaking of circled on the calendar, we've talked about Brad Keselowski, RFK Racing, that things have been obviously on the up and up for them this year, and... Uh, you know, just looking much more consistent and looking like they're going to finally get into victory lane, at least in Brad's case. And I think there's even more of a case that can be made that maybe it could happen this weekend at Kansas because Brad Keselowski is third on this list. <coughs> 26 starts at this track as a two-time winner, seven times finishing in the top five, 13 times finishing in the top 10, average finish of 12.1. Yes, I know most of these stats with Team Penske, but RFK Racing, we've already said it, they have looked much better this oh, yeah. season. So you have to think that stats like this, Brad, obviously there is a comfort level at Kansas. Might that come into play for him this weekend? Absolutely, yeah. That, that, yeah, Because the fact that they're running so much better now, I think you can look at this more as a legitimate you know, gauge of, mm-hmm. of that because of them running well. Absolutely. Next guy on the list, Mark Trix Jr. Obviously came off of, coming off of a win last week, and he comes into this track that he's won twice at in 29 starts to go along with 10 top fives and 16 top tens. Average finish of 12.2. So, I mean, you imagine after going through that long winless drought, if he was able to turn around and win two in a row, I mean, what a, what a, you know, going from, you know, low uh, morale on the team to the highest of highs on the team, if you're able to get that done. So uh, definitely, though, a track he's comfortable at. Absolutely. So and one of the best, obviously, in the back half of his career. So uh, don't bet yeah. against him. Don't bet against him whatsoever. Don't bet against Christopher Bell either. I know he's winless in six previous starts at Kansas, but he's finished twice in the top five. I think more importantly, four times finishing in the top 10 in the six starts and a good average finish 12.8. So I say it a lot of times as the experience level builds at a track, some of these young drivers that have that speed, you see them get better and better. Uh That's clearly obvious here for Christopher Bell. So I think he's definitely a driver that certainly has a good shot in this one. 100%, yeah. Uh, His teammate, Denny Hamlin, uh, in 29 starts here, has three victories. Has 11 top fives, 12 top tens, average finish of 13.3. Hasn't looked like the Denny Hamlin that we're used to this year, but, I mean, so obviously coming to a place that he's been pretty successful at, so, you know, he's wanting to to, to obviously use some of that past experience, those past uh, victories, to help him go out and, and potentially get another one. Absolutely, so it's a good opportunity for him. We'll just have to see what him and the team do with it. It's definitely an opportunity for Kyle Larson, but for a different reason, that being a rebound. Kyle Larson in 16 previous starts at Kansas is a one-time winner at this track. Five times he's finished in the top five, eight times finishing in the top ten. His average finish here goes a little bit lower, 14.2, but still not too bad. You just have to think, though, that uh, obviously he's going to be full of, uh, you know, just I think full of desire, obviously, to get that turnaround in this race. You have to wonder, though, if he's going to be near Ross Chastain at all. Might there be some retaliation huh. maybe coming? Honestly, wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock, shock me either. Me. Yeah. No. Um, next guy on the list here, Kurt Busch in 33 starts. at the. Actually, stop in there real quick. I said Kurt Busch. I meant to say Austin Cedric. But stop in there real quick. Actually, going back to Larson, I wanted to pick up on something. I remember something specific that happened in that Dover race when Ross Chastain was trying to chase down Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson was out there with a broken race car right. and was blocking Ross Chastain from gaining any ground. And it was, in, oh man, it was one of the funniest things because he was literally blocking every line that Ross mm-hmm. tried to do until Ross, of course, finally got on by, but not before it cost him quite a bit of time. And that was late in the race. So 
It just dawned on me about that moment, and I just it, it was it was one of the highlight moments of that race. No, to you're me, right. Man. You're right. We forgot to mention that earlier, and uh, <laughs> I don't know that that cost Ross the the uh, victory, but it certainly made things a heck of a lot harder for him. <laughs> Truex um, had to be looking in the mirror and liking what he was seeing there. For I, sure. Yeah, I think he was definitely breathing a sigh of relief when that happened, and it did help Truex in a major, major way because they went from something like a half second gap to suddenly like two seconds within like a lap or a lap and a half, something like that. So. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I think that says enough, basically, of just how Kyle Larson was feeling in the car at that very moment. And again, just I think that lends more credence to just wondering if there's going to be retaliation coming. Yeah, exactly. I just thought that was just so wild. And, and sorry, I didn't know kind of no, got no. off topic no, there. No but, problem. Um, so no, not Kurt Busch, but Austin Cindric is the next guy on the list. Three starts though has zero stats, no wins, no top fives, no top tens. But yeah, you wonder why he's this high on the list. His average finish is fifteenth, so been pretty decent here despite the fact that he hasn't had any top fives or top tens. Yeah, certainly not too bad. So we'll see what he does this weekend in his fourth start. We can't mention Kurt Busch, unfortunately, because, of course, he's out with, uh, you know, just obviously not no longer on the active uh, list of drivers. Obviously hasn't retired or anything like that, but we do have to wonder when he might be coming back. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, it would be a missed opportunity, obviously, had he been running in this one, one win and 33 starts. So yeah. it's I, th- I do believe, though, and actually, maybe that's a good segue. I didn't even think about that. So we got a little happenstance here. Didn't I, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't, uh, I think I read earlier this week that Kurt Busch is going to be in the booth this weekend. Uh, yeah, I believe so. For Fox. Yeah. So uh, we saw Rusty Wallace uh, for the yeah, Dover that race. Cool. That was cool on Monday. Kurt Busch is certainly an asset in the booth for uh, Fox, any of the races that he calls, whether it's Xfinity, Trucks, or Cup. So I think it'll be great to hear him. Kurt Busch is a natural at it. So yeah. uh, it's one of those things that we hate that we can't see him, obviously, uh, running on the track. But at the very least, we still get him in some capacity. Definitely, definitely. So that being said, we'll skip past Kurt Busch. We're going to cover William Byron next. In 10 previous starts at Kansas, he's never won here, but does have one top five. Actually, surprisingly, only one top five, but does have six top tens in the 10 starts. Average finish of 15.1, and again, just have to wonder if that, uh, is the specter of Dover going to haunt William Byron, or is he going to turn around and maybe run lights out in this one? So maybe we'll see possibly the first answer potentially to that question. Definitely. Kyle Busch is the next guy on our list here with 30 starts at this track, has two victories to go along with 10 top fives and 14 top tens, and an average finish of uh, 15.5. Pretty good body of work. Absolutely. Alex Bowman would have been next on the list, right. but we can't cover him because of his injury. So we're going to skip to Austin Dillon, and definitely notable because we obviously covered his situation with his points yeah. and such. So very crucial to look at him where he stands with Kansas. Well, unfortunately, the standing is not too great, really, when you look at it. In 19 prior starts at this track, no wins, oh, no top fives, only five top tens. Average finish, I guess, not too terrible considering the lack of top fives. It's 16.2, but just not a good omen when he needs all the points yeah, he can get. 100%. Ryan Blaney, the next guy on our list, in 16 starts here, no victories, has three top fives to go along with seven top tens and a 16.4 average finish. So probably not going to snap the winless streak no, here, judging by the uh, tail of the so. tape. It's interesting to see one of his teammates, Joey Logano, this far down the list. Here's why it's interesting. 27 previous starts, so you would say, well, he must be struggling if he's this far down right. the list. But yet he's actually a three-time winner at Kansas. Eight times he's finished in the top five. Ten times finishing in the top ten, but I guess he's had some trouble here, though, outside of that, because the average finish, 17.1. Very interesting uh, contrast here. Yeah, no, it definitely is a, a huge range, for sure, considering he's won, there, won here three times. Um from here, we're going to skip down to Chris Buescher uh, in 14 starts at this track. 
doesn't have a win or a top five, has three top tens, and an average finish of 18.4. I bring him up, obviously, because he and Brad Kozlowski are both running much better this year, and although Brad's been much better at this track in his career, we've seen Busher running well along with Brad lately, so I uh, honestly wouldn't be too shocked if he uh, finishes better than this average finish would indicate. Yeah, same here, and just it's going to be important, basically, just seeing what RFK Racing does at all the mile and a half this season, because again, that still yeah. makes up the bulk of the schedule, so it just makes that much more sense. I mean, not only because he's in the playoff hunt currently, or I should say just in the playoffs currently, but it just makes sense, obviously, just to cover him because of the multiple different angles just around right. him, basically coming into this one. And I think it makes sense to cover Chase Briscoe for that same reason because, you know, obviously he's right he's right there almost on the outside looking in as far as the yeah. playoffs. Four prior starts at Kansas and pretty much nothing to show for it. Um, you know, all zeros across the board. His average finish at Kansas, 19th. Not a good omen when, no. like, when also in a similar scenario needs all the points he can get. Yeah, and, and the next guy on our list, Eric Amarola, who has a lot more experience here in 22 starts, but no wins, no top fives, seven top tens, but average finish – mediocre 19.3 and right behind eric almirola another driver with a pretty mediocre average finish that's eric jones 13 starts at kansas no wins but three times is finished in the top five five times is finished in the top 10 yet the average finish dips down a little bit to 19.8 yeah and uh, ricky stanhouse jr our next driver on the list 20 starts here nothing to show for it except for one lone top 10 in his career and an average finish of 20.1 here uh, at this track in Kansas. I think you'll be seeing him doing some scratching and clawing in this one, trying to do anything he can yeah. to pass that average finish just to Agreed. keep his momentum going. A couple heavy hitters coming up. So the first of them, that being Tyler Reddick, only seven previous starts at Kansas, not a ton to show for it, literally only two top tens. Average finish is actually identical to Stenhouse, 20.1, but Tyler Reddick, I mean, again, still ascending as far as the ranks, or ascending up the ranks just in NASCAR, the Cup Series level as a whole, and looking good so far this season for 23-11 racing. So I kind of get the feeling he'll eclipse this average finish, the 20.1. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Ross Chastain, the next guy on the list, only eight starts here. Uh, no wins or top fives, has two top tens here at Kansas with an average finish very similar to that of Reddick, 20.5. Just got to say it, though. He's going to have the target on his back in this one. Uh, I, yeah, I if, agree. If not from Kyle Larson, might be Denny Hamlin. Who might knows? Brennan Poole. I was going to say, might be Brennan Poole. So, uh, <laughs> Ross, watch out. That's all we can say. Uh-huh. And ironically, uh, the next driver we're going to cover, his teammate at Trackhouse Racing, Daniel Suarez. And obviously important to cover because, again, just the struggles here the last little while. They've been well-documented, and it doesn't really get a whole lot better as far as Kansas is concerned. Twelve previous starts at this track, no wins, no top fives, only two top tens. Average finish dips down a little bit further, 21.3. Not a good omen. Next driver on the list, Bubba Wallace, in 10 starts here, actually has a win. I believe it came last year. Yep, it did. Um, with that, only has one top five, of course, and then two top tens, and an average finish – not a great 21.9, but if last year is any indication, you know, we might might see him run well here. We absolutely might. And I just have to wonder, uh, you know, it's like surprisingly Bubba Wallace, for whatever reason, like has not really been able to crack that, I guess, that performance level week to week with consistency where you start to see him just climbing up and getting his way into the points. And I'm a little bit surprised by that, just especially considering that in these last two seasons, yeah. he's gotten wins each of the last two years. Yeah. So, you know, you prove you have enough speed to win, and definitely you're able to put together a full race. They just haven't quite gotten that consistency. So I think that's the real challenge for Bubba Wallace going forward. It certainly. really is. And just continuing on, uh, we'll cover Ryan Priest next. Obviously, important to cover because of being at Stuart Haas Racing. Six prior starts at Kansas, not very much to show for it. So I don't think that it's going to be uh, not going to be a good omen for him. 
all zeros across the forward, across the board, excuse me, I guess you could say across the forward too. <laughs> all zeros across the board, average finish 25.5. So again, not a good omen. And then I guess the last driver we're going to cover, Harrison Burton. Um, two starts at this track. Like, we'll, we'll cover one other one after this uh, with McNall. Two starts at this track. Uh, again, nothing to show for it in an average finish of 26.5. So as you alluded to it, Michael McDowell is next on the list. 23 previous starts at Kansas, another one all zeros across the board. <laughs> Average finish, 27.6. But, yeah. you know, McDowell, he's always going to have his best chances at the super speedways and such. So, uh, I mean, you never know. He might be able to steal another one. He, hey, he got the 2021 Daytona 500, so it's not beyond the realm of possibility That's for him maybe true. to get another one. So with that, Jeremy, uh, we've covered all the most notable drivers. First time in person. That's me rubbing rub yeah. my hands together. There. I'm joining right in. There we go. First time <laughs> since September that we're going to do our picks in person. So yep. my good sir, I am putting you on the spot. Who do you have for the Advent Health 400 at Kansas? I'll give you a, a, a hint. It's a guy that's never won here before. Hmm. Okay. So going a little outside the box, but a guy that's run extremely well this season uh, he just hasn't won here, but things are trending up. He's already won this season. Uh, I'm gonna stop beating around the bush, I guess. I'm gonna go Christopher Bell. Okay, Christopher Bell is gonna get his second win of the year, and like I said, you know, with how well he has rent, he has been running at Kansas, despite hasn't, you know, that he hasn't won yet. Just things keep continuing to trend up for him and that 20 team. I think they're gonna get it done this weekend. I think you're kind of thinking along the lines of what I was thinking a little bit because I just kind of I, I wouldn't be surprised certainly so I think that's an excellent pick yeah. Jeremy just the trending upward just as a whole and just yeah the only thing he hasn't done at Kansas is win so I would not be surprised whatsoever the only surprise though in that pick though was that I really thought you were going to go uh not so much with low-hanging fruit I mean I could never blame you for making this pick that I'm about to make um, I'm just a little bit surprised that you did not go with uh, with the with the driver that you root for the most. Yeah, I, I, that honestly, that Chase was 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 uh, the guy I was gonna go with or really considering going with. But I don't know, just just keep I just kept circling back to the twenty mm-hmm. though in my head over and over again. And you know, and obviously as a if I put my fan hat on, obviously I'm gonna be cheering for the nine on Sunday. <laughs> but but uh, the twenty has just run so well this year, and so. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest because, I mean, clearly since I'm picking them, that, you know, that they uh, they could get, go out and get the win. You can't deny the strong run. So, again, your rationale is excellent, and, again, I think it's a great pick. So that being said, I kind of just gave it away a moment ago. Yep. But I'm, I'm picking Chase Elliott. I mean, there's going to be a time, obviously, here uh, coming up here very shortly. It's going to be, I can just feel it. He's going to get back into victory lane. Yeah. I know there's probably, I and I know I've leaned on this one heavily. At some point, I'm not going to be able to lean on it anymore. But just when a driver comes back from an injury, there always is a little bit of an adjustment period. They've got to get their feet wet again, so to speak. They've got to get used to the, the daily grind, the weekly grind, whatever you want to call it. Chase Elliott's had a couple races now to get acclimated again. And I'm just, just from what I'm seeing, just obviously the stats, and uh, he has started to look more comfortable, had a relatively decent race at Dover. I think Kansas is the weekend for him to get it done. So I'm picking Chase Elliott. There's not really much more I can say. I'm going with him. Two weeks in a row, you picked him last week at yeah, Dover. So That's true. Um, yeah. Obviously, as a Chase Elliott fan, I, I I mean, obviously, I hope he gets hope he gets done, and then that uh, then that waiver will, will uh, get passed, because um, and then obviously you'll have the 
Alex Bowman need one after that. But yeah. Yeah, which I don't know. Alex Bowman's going to get into victory lane. I mean, and I think it stinks also. We hadn't even really talked about this with Alex Bowman. So maybe a speed cast aside here at the end of the show. Um, Alex Bowman, before that injury, was actually having one of his most consistent runs to start a season of his career. I think that's what the most disappointing that thing is of all is. frustrating, yeah. So the only one who's not frustrated, I guess, because, you know, we mentioned earlier, Josh Berry gets to get his feet wet. But I'm sure Josh would have much rather done it under different oh, circumstances, yeah. too. So. At the very least, we're rooting for Alex Bowman, obviously, to return soon, return sooner versus later. I know it's going to yeah. be a little bit, though, with a uh, neck injury like that. There's, yeah. Obviously, there, there's been no like talk of it being like a career-ending injury or anything like that, so that's obviously the good news. But uh, I don't know. We just we hope to see him back in the car sooner versus later because neck injuries, they are certainly nothing to sneeze at. Agreed. So all that being said, folks, the picks are in. Jeremy's got Christopher Bell. I've got Chase Elliott. That's all the time we have for this week, and as always, we thank you for listening and for supporting the Speedcast, especially on our return in person. Remember, you can subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. Remember to go follow us on Twitter at the Speedcast. Remember to look us up on Facebook and smash that like button for us as well. For Jeremy Smith, I'm Darren Baxter. Thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the races at Kansas.